Hello, and this is From the Rooftops. That's Clay. And this is Tyler. And we're here to talk about superheroes, because we know more about them than you do, apparently. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> Professor Clay, mm. Emeritus Doctoress of Superheroes, we were here today to talk about the secret identity and the duality of self in superheroes that we almost threw hands about in the first episode. I, I don't know, a mild disagreement? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I keyed up your car, I bought you a car, and then I keyed it and slashed the tires, but, you know, small <laughs> See, this is the thing. It's not that Clay's about to punch me over my views on superheroes. It's that Clay's about to punch everyone about their views on superheroes. I have actually in real life slapped a nigga for misrepresenting <laughs> the Malcolm X, uh, Magneto, uh, oh, MLK, no. Professor X dynamic. Oh, no. Only because he did it in public. He told someone else that. I'm like, you're being irresponsible. Stop that. Yeah. Like that, that's genuinely serious shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, people do that. Anyway, yeah, mm, secret identity. Yeah. Who lies? Let's get into that because it is important. I feel like a lot of it, a lot of the culture wants to get away from that now. Yes. And it's come from a misunderstanding of what it does, I think, which is my entire thesis for whatever. So in the first episode, I, Clay outlined that the superhero as a concept sort of required a secret identity not necessarily every superhero required one but for for your definition you did suggest that you kind of needed that right yeah Mm -hmm. and you disagreed and you know cars and whatnot and i want to start with you first and your perspective on that just while i assemble my thoughts right okay so for me the issue is not so much that it's required as much as I, i take a little more of a tag cloud approach to this kind of thing uh i do definitely uh, agree that secret identities are a really good way to do this but for me it's not that they need a secret identity as much as they need an anchor to normalcy mm. so uh animal man is one of my favorite examples animal man does have an you know a in the suit, out of the suit time, but it's not because it's his secret identity. He doesn't do a lot to mask his face, and there aren't stories about what if someone discovers Animal Man's secret identity. The sto- the anchor to normalcy in his case, at least during the Grant Morrison run, was very much his family. He needed to hero because he needed to make rent. Um, yeah. and, and that's not to say that uh, a character um, having that anchor to normalcy uh, necessarily makes them a superhero. Our and I'm not so sure if it's our as much as it's Clay's, and I kind of just heavily agree with it, uh, thesis that the X-Men aren't superheroes. They're characters in a superhero universe. Right. Uh, that idea, there are some characters in the X-Men who I do feel have, to some extent, a superheroic element to them. But, like, I mean, Wolverine doesn't have an anchor to normalcy. Wolverine's whole story is spent sliding downhill away from normalcy all the time and just trying to hold on to things for long enough to to keep himself whole and that's yeah. an interesting story but it's definitely not the same thing as i am powerful but i need to bear in mind what it is to not be powerful right because the x-men is definitely sort of a i don't remember the specifics of it. the idea that asimov said about the three types of sci-fi you know the one way you go to make the science fiction thing the one way you uh, use the science fiction thing and the one where you like have the science fiction thing 
already existing and how it affects society. And X-Men is all about the third. And I yes. know these have names. But it's about, here's the thing, it's a sci-fi concept. And comparatively, I guess in superhero fiction, it tends to be more of the second. Here's the sci-fi thing, we're going to have an adventure with it. Yeah. And, or the fantasies thing, whatever. Nine times out of ten, people are using sci-fi the same way they use magic. But as far as, like, identity, there's two parts of it. I do agree that the identity doesn't have to be secret, but I do think it has to be distinct from the superhero life. You can't be a person who doesn't, like you said, who doesn't talk or interact with anyone normal. Everyone's either in on the secret or a part of it, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is, I think having the dual life naturally leads to a lot of the things that are, I feel are essential, but are also window dressing at the same time, which is a weird way to put it. But window dressing is important. And so much as like a lot of people will get hung up on, well, they don't wear the costumes or they don't have a cool name or no one ever says the cool name. Like no one ever looks into the camera and says, Superman, go do whatever. Yeah. I feel like part of that naturally flows from having a dual identity because why does the hero wear a costume? We like within the text, not as the broader branding consideration. Within the text, he wears a costume because it's a part of his mask and he wears a mask to hide his identity. Why does he have yeah. a different name? Why doesn't he just go out as Steve? Well he can't because Steve works a job. So super person has a mask to go with that, it has a name to go with the mask, to go with the identity. And right. I think all that's really essential. Cause like, if you just have people going around doing superhuman things as normal guys, it doesn't quite feel as much like a superhero narrative. It doesn't feel quite right without the costumes and the names and the gimmicks and all that. So but- one of the things about this that's kind of hard to state, but it's, it's implicit in the text is we recognize that power should not be constant. Mm. Characters in superhero stories who always have their powers and it's always on and they can always act as the hero at all times, no matter what, they're usually villainous. Yeah. And they're usually represented as even in like deconstructions. That's usually kind of a dystopic view of, you know, well, such and such as character has now shown up and now they are doing whatever they want. That's, that's usually seen as we clearly recognize that as not being good. It even goes into the classic morality where, you know, Superman, uh, Clark, as a high school student, says, oh, I have to pull it back. I can't, you know, I'm going to play football, but I can't be full Kryptonian because that would be unfair and that would be bad for me to do that. Or, you know, Peter Parker, not only does he not use his spider powers in his day-to-day life because that would expose him, but also because when, say, you know, Flash Thompson comes to bully on him if you whipped out all that spider stuff that would be the equivalent of pulling out a gun and shooting at him so he has to stand there and play the role to feel like a normal guy to not just and to feel like a good person because it's unfair for spider-man to beat up flash thompson it's Mm -hmm. i mean that was one of the things like Again, I go back to Ultimate because that's so fun. He just dances around Flash and then breaks his hand. Or when he goes to play uh, basketball and he's being Spider-Man taking, you know, 20-foot jumps and dunking on people. That's part of the him being, uh, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to 
not identify him when he does that because it's wrong. Yeah. Even the, the thing of going to be a wrestler and using his powers for self gain in his normal life and how yeah. that's bad, which we know how that story ends. Yeah. And, and I mean, Spider-Man is a story that really uses this trope, like repeatedly. This is almost the circular loop mm. of the, the Spider-Man narrative in that there is some tension between, uh, personal furtherance and, um, and culture and societal furtherance with um with spider-man i think it was oh god i think it was bob chipman who said that spider-man is a character who's always a good enough person to recognize that he needs to be a better person Mm. and that means that a lot of his stories are about guilt and so you do get to see those moments where spider-man just uses his power to benefit spider-man and then there's these moments of oh yeah that's bad like even even in the case of spider-man uh felicia hardy the fact that his normal identity has a hot girlfriend and then his secret identity has another hotter probably girlfriend like that decision whether or not to engage with felicia on that level in original star uh, spidey stories was very much seen as using the power of the secret identity and deciding whether or not that that was an appropriate use of that if that was as it were fair yeah, and even um the character of Black Cat is all about why why do this Peter Parker thing? Come be like me and exploit your power and uniqueness and just be awesome all the time and that's a temptation for the character. We're supposed to say, No, don't go with Felicia because she's bad, you know? Mm-hmm. She's the bad girl. Because she does superhero or super person stuff constantly and doesn't give a shit for her own personal, you know, gain. Yeah. Now on the note of characters who I do think of as superheroes, but don't have a quote-unquote secret identity, I would point to Captain America. It's funny, because he used to. All of yeah. the characters who I would say don't count anymore used to have secret identities. Captain America used to be Private Steve Rogers, which was a weird, like, unnecessary... Like, did we do that? Because that's what we do. It reminds me of this story about the spirit, you know? Will Eisner creates the spirit basically as a like a comedy noir character, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of exaggerating here. But then his editor like walks in the room and sharpies a mask on the spirit because he says comic book heroes wear masks. Spirit's not that kind of character, but there he is with a mask now, and he's a superhero because that's what we do in this genre. Or the Iron Man thing of uh, the bodyguard gimmick that lasted way longer than it needed to because. That's what we do, right? Or the um, yeah. the Thor thing with Dr. Donald Blake. Like, we do that because this is the genre, right? These are the rules. It's like, are you really writing that type of character because that works for them? Or are you doing it because that's what we do? Yeah. Right? Now, the reason I bring up Captain America is because Captain America does have an anchor to normalcy in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in his case, it's discovering normalcy. Mm-hmm. It's that It's that notebook. I love the notebook so much. I love that we didn't go from Captain America to Captain America comes out and is like, you know, established in the universe. And it's every single episode of, of the, every single iteration of the Captain America movies is him going, what's a sushi? Like, like the fact that he bothers to research and write down and take notes about the whole world and, that means that everything that's normal to us is becoming normal to him. And that anchors him to it and means that he has a, a reason to care about and be connected to it. I really like that as a way of, of doing the, 
as it were, always on superhero without necessarily uh, losing that connection to normal. Even the fact that he tried to go live in a regular, he could have lived on the Triskelion or, uh, you know, or something like that. He says, no, I want a little house over here in the corner of DC and I'll go into work. I'll go across town in my car to the Triskelion and that's so cool. But again, that's not his job. He's, he's he's a soldier. He's a cop. He doesn't also do something else. And so, like, everybody around him, everybody he works with is a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Everybody, everybody yeah. he integrates. And, again, and this is part of the narrative, but even that one person who lives in his apartment building, who's supposed to be a normal person, turns out to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yeah. And I think in a lot of the other media the adaptations in the comics, that's his life now. He doesn't mm. have normal friends anymore. And it's been a very long time since he has. Now, that's part of why the dynamic with Black Widow is interesting, because that also connects him further to normalcy. Not because he is normal and she makes him more normal, but because she is explicitly not. And he is the one who's standing next to her saying, shouldn't shouldn't we have other stuff going on? Yeah, and... I really uh, like the, the farm boy dynamic there. I... I it's really weird. A lot of the stuff that they've done with Captain America is stuff that I really resented when they did it with other characters, but I just really like the Captain America in the MCU. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> I'm Australian they, for fuck's sake. They, they they picked a good actor. They picked they wrote him well and they increased the quality of his writing because I would say Winter Soldier and Civil War are better than First Avenger and Avengers. Yes. Sound. And that's what keeps that going. If they just wrote First Avenger three times, you probably wouldn't like them as much. Yeah. And as for, like, the idea of being normal, and because I said I would do this, I like going to Moon Knight. Because of that, you know, that trinity of identity he develops and how... What's funny to me about that, because he basically represents the two types of superhero secret identities. The normal guy, Jake Lockley, who just drives a cab, and, you know... The Mont Cranston, the wealthy man about town, and uh, Mark Spector. And neither of those guys are real people. They're just tell part what, of the illusion. Hmm? Tell you what, okay, so I, we've referenced Spider-Man and Captain America, but I do think Moon Knight is just on the cusp of we probably need to explain who the fuck Moon Knight is. Okay, okay. So, real <laughs> quick and dirty. Moon Knight, real easy and simple. Moon Knight is a guy named Mark Spector. Uh... Jewish guy, rabbi's son, lives like a rough and tumble life, decides, hey, I'm really good at fighting. So he goes off to fight in the war. What war? That last war we just had. What, you know, whatever time it is now, he fought the last war and decides to become a merc. Travels around, hooks up with these people who are digging up a lost fictional, I think, Egyptian god, Khonshu. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, we need guys with guns standing around. So they hire him and they hire this asshole named... Bushman. Saul, Raul Bushman. Mm-hmm. Bushman says, hey, look at all this Egyptian shit. I'll steal it, sell it, kill all you guys. And so he does. Uh, Bushman is the protagonist of the new mummy He's just movie. a guy. He's just a merc who <laughs> was hired on. Uh, Bushman shoots everybody. He runs off with all the stuff. And Mark Spector is there crawling for his life. He grabs onto the statue of this god, Kanchu, and Kanchu speaks to him and says, I will bring you up. I will 
bless you, and I will give you my power to exact vengeance in my name, because I am Khonshu, the god of the moon, the god of the travelers at night, and the god of vengeance. So go avenge a bunch of shit. He takes the cloak of Khonshu, goes off, and becomes basically Batman. But in order to do this, he creates two other identity. This, again, wealthy, like, Lamont Cranston type, Stephen Grant. He's just Bruce Wayne. And a man of the people, taxi driver named Jake Lockley. And that's it. That's his whole life. He doesn't, he's never Mark Spector anymore. He's always Stephen Grant and Jake Lockley. And slowly over time, he loses his grip and becomes those three guys, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, and uh, Moon Knight constantly. And Mark yep. Spector somewhere in there screaming, wanting to come out. And I've, I feel, again, those are the two identities we see a lot in superhero fictions when we do, you know, secret identities. We do the rich guy with all the stuff. That's Bruce Wayne. That's, um, uh. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Danny Rand. Uh, I, not, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Stephen Strange so much. He doesn't have a secret identity, but. Nah, he's, he's his own thing. Yeah, he's. But we have those guys, and then we have sort of the normal person like Jake Lockley, Peter Parker, Superman, uh, Blue Beetle. Well, not Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle's a rich guy. Uh, the Flash, a lot of them. And those are the two types. But because neither of those are fully developed people in their narrative, they're intentional works of fiction, both textually and metatextually, yep. they contribute to this whole identity crisis he has. And... You, you compare that to, like, a lot of writers will say, I hate the secret uh, of the secret identity. And I feel like that's where, like, the Moon Knight comparison comes in. Because all those characters exist to serve the secret. Stephen Grant is there to, like, draw attention away from the richest guy in town. And Jake Lockley is there to listen to normal people and hear, you know, the rumblings on the streets. None of those are real people compared to Peter Parker or uh, Clark Kent. And that's how yeah. people write those characters wrongs. They're overly concerned with the secret aspect and not the being a normal person aspect, having a fully developed life. Now, as for what you can do with secret identities that you like, like you, 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 uh, I think it's, I think it's un not unreasonable for me to say that you like Moon Knight, right? I like, uh, yeah, as much yeah. as he is, I like him. So, uh, now, now for my shameful secret, I really liked the first run on Thunderbolts. Mm. Basically, I liked every Thunderbolts issue up until a point where Hawkeye got involved. Really? <laughs> That's just yeah. Well, actually, let me, let me for later. For, for, did you hate Hawkeye before or after that? Because I also uh, know. <laughs> ooh, it's that's hard to say. Because I mean. And like, there's also the greater context that we both share of, you know, natural King's Row dudes and yeah. how they color your perspective on those characters. But City, City of Heroes massively colored my perception and experience of certain types of superhero, uh, certainly certain genre superhero characters. Like the un, like the the superpowered, no secret identity sorts got so boring when you had to interact with them in their supposed downtime. Right, because it often indicated that they had no inner life and they weren't whole people mm -hmm. again like Stephen grant and jake lockley there's no mark specter there for them there's no peter parker there for them yeah they're just just shells of people that are designed <laughs> to fulfill and hold vessels of power mm -hmm. but uh to to avoid going into the badass natural uh story uh thread that we're, that's we, an episode that's a full yeah, episode that's, 
That's a multi-part episode. Uh, no. <laughs> Thunderbolts. Okay. Thunderbolts. Yeah. So in Thunderbolts, for anyone who's not aware, uh, there was shortly after, I want to say, uh, God, I can't remember the name of the character, the, the fusion of uh, Magneto and Professor X. Really oh, doofy looking design. Onslaught. Onslaught. That's right. After the Onslaught event, there was a, a obligatory publishing shakeup where they discontinued some comics and recontinued some comics. You know, the typical stuff that they do. Anyway, um, this led to them putting out a new issue one for a new comic, a new group called The Thunderbolts, who appeared in the wreckage of Onslaught and had a whole bunch of kind of post, uh, post-event cleanup. They did a really nice comic showing here is all the damage that Onslaught did. And because a whole bunch of heroes are now in the hospital or are missing the, uh, the criminal element of normally boring second stringers are coming out in this area of damage and they're now doing things. So a new hero group has shown up to, to deal with that and they have taken them out. And so you got to have this first issue where you got to know who the Thunderbolts were and they were pretty cool as a group. Um, kind of, kind of almost standard generic superheroes and you had like a big guy you had a tech dude you had uh the two different varieties of women the the um shy one and the slutty one and you had um a a painfully noble on the nose uh leader type character with like a fucking american flag uh shield i think no cape yeah and he had the the kind of pointy looking mask am i forgetting he was like a sword yeah. offenser he was a fencer he was citizen v Yes, that guy. I love yes, that look. I love that outfit. Such a good look. Um, and then you get all the way to the very last pair of pages of this comic, and the uh, they're all in their base, and Citizen V takes off his mask and is all like, all right, I think we've got them all fooled. And then it goes through the secret identities of these new superheroes, and it turns out they're all second-string loser villains... From other heroes' comic books who have, under the auspices of this uh, uh, Citizen V, uh, come together to make a conspiracy of, like, a hero group where the whole thing is, like, we're going to uh, gain hero society's trust in this time of flux and we'll exploit that for some ends or another. And Citizen V was Baron Zemo, who you may mostly remember from the... Um, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the instigator behind Civil War. Yeah, with uh, the blue one, I'm sorry. I just remember the, the the thing that at least one of their Baron Zemos accidentally super glued his mask to his face. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not super glue. It's, it was like hyper epoxy. And it was, it was even sillier because apparently he was doing it on commission for Doctor Doom to try and make a second skin that would replace his, uh, his would face. replace his, his terrible burnt face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that whole, first run of the thunderbolts had characters with secret identities and whose secret identities had secret identities and that was super interesting because there were characters using different levels of information and exploiting different facts about the very real people that they were pretending to be um to interact with them and the different levels of agenda it's almost a masterclass in how to design a good villain group as well because you have all these different types of villains having uh, different motivations for why they engage in villainy, and because you're sitting on that side of the story for once, you're not just seeing them as the the obstacles they present to the heroes. Right. I really liked that, and it was a really solid use of the secret identity as a 
as a uh, superheroic element, but not necessarily uh, an, any, an element of a superhero. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned like being on both sides because I like coming back to Black Lightning during I th- I want to say the God I don't remember which that was post Grant Morrison when he was in the JLA, and this was after Lex Luthor had become president. So <laughs> God, comics uh, are weird, aren't they? Black Lightning, Jefferson Pierce has become sort became sort of what they call the most the worst kept secret in Washington. He becomes the Secretary of Education because he's a teacher and because somebody needs to be standing next to Lex Luthor who can shoot lightning. <laughs> and everybody knows Black Lightning is Jefferson Pierce at this point. He becomes exposed at some point way back like in the eighties and nineties. And so every criminal goes, Hey, you're you're in with the uh with the president, right? With Lex Luthor, maybe you can do something for me. I'll help you out, Black Lightning. Hero. Sure, air quotes. And he goes to the Justice League and says, yes, yeah, so here's what they said. And that's a big part of his identity. He even comes to, like, clash with other heroes occasionally because they're like, well, you're just an obvious Luthor stooge. And he's like, no, it's like three levels, man. There's shit going on. There's a reason I'm on the Justice League. You know? Yeah. And, like, he's not officially exposed as Black Lightning, but everybody knows. It's one of those weird things where everybody knows, everybody knows he works Luthor, but there's no video, there's no official confession, there's no documentation. It's just for some reason, I forget the specifics, everybody knows. And he plays both sides of that fence kind of in the open, which is why I say it doesn't always have to be a secret, but I do think it always has to be two distinct lies. There has to yeah. be a point where you stop being person A and start being person B. Uh, I was going to bring up another example of a character who lacks a secret identity, per se, but still has that anchor to normalcy, mm-hmm. which okay. is Power Girl and Atlee. Yeah. Because I love those Power things. Girl is extremely a superhero. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that she's like definitively the superhero, but she's definitely a superhero. Right. And. The best stories with Power Girl are the ones which have her relating to her anchors to normalcy, which include things like uh, Atlee finding out how Ikea furniture works. <laughs> like, that comic is adorable, and it's really fun. And it just happens to also include, like, extensive discussions of their normal, everyday life. Because it's not a matter of the secret identity, it's the matter of being able to put down the power of being a superhero. Yeah. And, I mean, you see that as well in, like, uh, Ring the Bell, the obligatory Alan Moore reference, but whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Yeah, where he just goes off and bees normal. Bees. Goes off and becomes a normal person. And that's how that story ends, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, like, and, and how many stories of Superman do we have where the strain of being Superman 24-7 makes him become a total dick? I love, I love stories where Superman loses his powers and doesn't give a shit. Where he goes, okay, <laughs> I'll just go be Clark Kent now. There's enough other superheroes in the world that can solve the problem. And I was just being Superman because that's the least I could do as a person who can hear the whole world and be anywhere instantly and do anything. The least I can do is hold up a bridge when it's falling. It's not. Yeah. And on that same level, I do dislike those narratives that go, oh, the superhero persona is the real person and the, you know, the secret identity is the mask 
I like the idea that there are actually, again, going back to Moon Knight, that there are actually three people in there, you know? Because it's kind of how we are in real life, where there's a person you have to be for your job. There's things you will and won't say because that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's the you that just does whatever comes to mind, you know? And that's not how most people are. I hate the idea of realness being just saying whatever you feel all the time because that's you – know, <laughs> You're not a person anymore when you do that. You're a nerve cluster and you respond to any stimulus you receive. You know? That's not a person. Sometimes you don't say, hey, you look ugly in that. You say, hey, you, know, you, you, it's, it's not, it's not false to have a filter and it's not real to say whatever you want and it's not human to only say whatever will, you know, is most logical that'll get you the reaction you want. Real people are a combination of all these things, you know? Yeah. And the idea that, you know, Batman calls himself Batman in his own head, that's fucking insane. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, language, but not fuck. If I say fuck all the time, insane is not cool. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) We we are going to have to run into a – this is like a footnote for the listener. Um, We are going to have to run into a problem in that comics – have a very clearly defined genre of mental health yeah. that is not really related to real world mental health, and it has a lot of very deep ableism baked the fuck in. And yeah. there's going to be a bunch of language problems. Please understand, we are we are definitely talking about an unreal thing. Yeah, I always prefer whenever they do quote quote insanity where they. Uh specifically introduce a supernatural element i hate when people again on topic i hate when people explain things about moon knight explicitly because half of it is the ambiguity of it and the mystery but the one thing i did love was when um reed richards looks at his brain and says oh no yeah you experienced something i don't know what it was but your brain shows signs of been having been affected by an extra normal entity so that's why your head does that thing it does as yes. opposed to oh no he has dissociative identity disorder it doesn't work like that that's not none of the fiction is really interesting as a study of the nature of the secret identity it's a bad example of mental illness. Yeah. And so the more now, we can move away from that and just say, oh, it's magic shit for the sake of telling the story, the better. Now, connected to that, in the case of Moon Knight, one thing that I think that Moon Knight can do really well is a study of how neurotypical people regard neuroatypical people. Because yeah. how he got the mental state he has is meaningless. And whether or not that mental state is wrong or disordered is also meaningless to this discussion because moon knight can function yeah. moon knight can can pay his bills and moon knight can you know do his you pay bills for three separate people simultaneously. Yeah. yeah and yet other people regard moon knight as a group as really dangerous despite yeah. the fact that one of those personalities is a totally nice guy for yeah. example um similarly you can look at how uh harley quinn works in that I've seen Harley Quinn paired up with Wonder Woman. I've seen Harley Quinn paired up with the Suicide Squad. I've seen her paired up with Green Arrow. And okay, Green Arrow actually works. But Harley Quinn as a entity doesn't bring anything to the table that literally anyone else can't also bring. She's just Harley Quinn. And Harley Quinn is quote unquote crazy. And that... Yeah. 
that's a really weird element. And in her case, it is also a secret identity because she lost her anchor to normalcy. There is that Harleen Quinzel who has like, she's a psychologist and she's experienced and she's got all this knowledge and information and she's smart. And instead what you wind up with is just a person who has all these oddball super plans that are the byproduct of, Oh, well I tried any old thing because I'm crazy. Yeah. And it, you lose your connection to anything like that grounds you. It's, yeah. And it's, again, that's when you, when people write, you know, Batman badly, it's because they're writing Batman and Batman is a magic trick. He's not a person. Yeah. Or maybe if they go too deep, I guess is the other way. It's because they're writing Bruce Wayne, you know, rich person. Mm. And that's also a role. I say Batman's a magic trick. Bruce Wayne is a role played by an actor. And somewhere in between is a real person. And it's hard to find people who get that so much, you know, in terms of one, writing and adaptation and whatnot. One thing I kind of liked about um, Christopher Nolan's Bruce Wayne is he's really bad at being an indulgent playboy. Oh, yeah. It's so, like, fake. Like, it's clearly like, <laughs> oh, I'll buy the restaurant. It's it's funny, because I know you've seen at least a few of the early episodes of Arrow when he's pretending to be Bruce Wayne. When he's like, yes. I miss tequila! I don't... I think he does it a little better. I think he yeah. does the... He stops doing it eventually, but I think he did it better while he was doing it. I actually was going to say that Arrow, uh, the first two seasons of Arrow feature a lot of really good use of this secret identity slash yeah. anchor to normalcy thing, where... Um, particularly once Black Canary gets involved because she is someone whose entire identity is severed from her anchor to normalcy. And her story is basically about trying to find a way to connect back to it, even though she knows she can't have it back. Um, the, The use of a conspiracy in the case of Arrow is one of the best things because it means that you have the information about the bad thing, but you don't have enough of the information to meaningfully change it. So the story needs to be in secret and you have a reason for a secret identity that is above and beyond just, well, I need to protect my identity. I also need to protect the information. I also need to have uh, protection from the consequences of the things I do because what he does involves killing people and yeah. torturing people, which the story does actually point at as not good things. Yeah, they give him a hard time for that. And it's funny about that because there was this show that came on just before Arrow and could be considered kind of the testing of the waters called The Cape. Uh, And I'm sure you haven't seen The Cape because no no one saw The Cape. And you didn't miss anything. Uh Um, (laughs) But one of the, to like quickly break down, this was a completely original IP created by ABC to try to do a superhero show. Uh, You have a cop lives in, you know, a metropolis-style city. I don't think it's a real city. It's been since 2011. I don't remember. Um, and it's beset by this comic book-ass villain named Chess. He's got a mask. He's got, like, chess piece irises. And he does... Oh, no. He does That's these awesome. Big, no, no. It's going to get better. <laughs> he does these huge, elaborate plans that involve various levels of terrorism and, you know, crime. He's a, he's a, he's a chess... Master of crime. And the cop with his wife and his son, you know, he's living a life, but he's going to go after chess. And he ties it back to, as you would guess, a very important businessman in town. And he's got these connections with this, again, comic book ass, 
um, mob boss named Scales, who has scales. He's, <laughs> he's Vinnie Jones, and he just looks like an extremely low-rent Killer Croc. And To be fair, st- that's what Vinnie Jones looks like without makeup. Yeah, and it was funny when they put him in Arrow Season 4 to be Brick, and he's just Vinnie Jones <laughs> running around. But, anyway. Fair, if you hire Vinnie Jones for any role, you know exactly what you're getting. <laughs> Vinnie Jones as Vinnie Jones with this outfit on. Exactly. Uh, so, anyway, so the cop goes after Vinnie Jones and Chess slash blatantly Lex Luthor type dude. And they say, oh, we'll solve you real quick. Here's what we'll do. Because the rich guy is, because of the Chess problem, he's utilizing his resources to create uh, extrajudicial military police force. And that's part of the reason why the cop wants to solve the problem. Because he's like, these guys are running around AK shooting anybody, which, you know, real life or whatever. You know, just for the sake of solving this problem, if I get rid of the chess problem, we won't have the evil military force problem. So he says, oh, what would we do? We'll staple the chess mask to your face and send you out into the streets and then have our, you know, military copters blow you up. And he survives this experience and wakes up in a circus. And sure, why not? It's it's very com- it's more comic booky than any of the comic book shows on right now. And the circus yeah. people, including Keith Richards, a little person, an Indian person, and a woman, they teach him circus tricks. They teach him, <laughs> you know, fighting. The, cir- the 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 little person teaches him how to fight. Keith David teaches him magic, like stage magic. Uh, the oh, Indian good. gentleman. <laughs> like- <laughs> The Indian, gen- <laughs> the Indian gentleman teaches him like mentalism and you know like you know like mental tricks yeah. to trick people yeah, I know. and how to hypnotize himself. And then Keith David woof, says, "Here is the cape. It's made of spider silk and it's been used by the greatest thieves and men in history. Use this solve the problem. You know, go be a hero. Except he's not. He's dead. He's technically dead." And slandered by everybody. He's, yeah, Chess, he was killed. He was that cop whose name nobody cares about. And even his wife and son are like, maybe we should change our name so people don't know. And they have their whole side story. And so he becomes the cape to, you know, reclaim his name. And it doesn't work very well as a superhero narrative because he's just some asshole running around in a cape. His normal people or all the people who help make him be a superhero. He doesn't interact with anyone normal. His family is across town and he just stares at them from a rooftop and cries. Yeah, this is this is so close to being a really good idea. Mm-hmm. And then they, they muck it up. Right. Because, and there's so crazy things because, you know, he uses the cape as a weapon and he can fight with it and he can dis- and all this shit. And eh, the action scenes aren't great, but some of the goofy ideas are there. But the way it breaks down in that it's about a person who's special fighting against another person who's special, and that's all it is, right? Yeah. It's the cape versus chess, and that's the whole thing. And they have villains of the week, but, eh. I mean, I don't ever get the sense that this guy goes around on rooftops seeking out crime, nor do I get the sense that he's doing anything else but working out in 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 preparation to take on chess. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I see what you mean. And, you know, you compare it to Arrow, we know what Oliver Queen is doing. He's dealing with his family. He's failing at, you know, living up to the Queen legacy. It, and we know what he's doing when he's Green Arrow. Even then, first season, you know, Diggle has to hand him down and say, you can't just 
do this one thing if you're going to yeah. do this. You need to contribute with the uh, Royal Flesh Gang. He says, this is a general society problem you should address, you know? Yeah. Oh, God. I Was Deagle in the – sorry, was Deagle in the books? Because I don't remember him, but he's a no. fucking fantastic addition to the, Deagle to the Green Arrow character. introduced in the show. He's named after one of the writers of Green Arrow Year One. Andy, um, right. not Andy Diggle. It's uh, J- no Andy Diggle and Jock. Those are the c- creators of Year One, and then they introduce him into the comics after the show because he's so popular. He's a really and, good character. He's an excellent foil. Yeah, and again, he was in the beginning a normal person, well, as normal as an ex-military bodyguard can be. Yeah, and I think they've lost that. Everybody in his life is in and on secret and a part of the team. They're kind of losing that. Even though last yeah. season was the best season at all, entirely. Really? Yeah. It was all, but it was all about a team. Like, there was one person. There was, you know what? You're right. There was one person in his life who had nothing to do with the secret, and she became kind of a plot device, to be honest. But yeah. even having those plot devices around you contributes to the quality of the story you're telling because... You said it connects you to normalcy. And his normal in season five, spoilers, is being mayor. So everybody around him is a part of that. She's a press person. And she's, you know, giving him a hard time for his ineptitude as mayor. Because half of his time he's going around being Green Arrow. And the mayor gimmick comes up and it keeps coming back. And it's an important part of his normalcy. As opposed to, I would say, season Three and four, he's just Green Arrow most of the time. That's part of, but not the only reason, those shows that those seasons had trouble. Yeah. And it's not like you can't tell a story about a super person, you know, just being super all the time. It's more so that once you integrate all of the things that we consider to be super heroic, it clashes with nothing to compare it to, I guess. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense to me. I One of the things... That biblical myth, and I know you don't like, you know, modern myth, blah, 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 but no, no. biblical myth Biblical uh, myth has... is modern myth, so I'm... go, yeah. please. <laughs> uh, but biblical myth has the judges, and, like, if you look into the history of that, there's a super interesting set of blah, 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 and there's some honest-to-God superhero shit and all that. But one of the things about the judges was the judges were almost always very human. Whatever story they had did inevitably feature either they failed because of their basic humanity... Or they recognize their limitations and God filled in the gap for them. And I think that's something that we want in all of our stories about power. Even the people we want to be very powerful and also very good, we want them to be able to put down the power and still be like us. And I think that's part of why probably the best secret identity in comics is Billy Batson. (laughs) Oh yeah, gotta love Billy. Like, and, I'm not, and I wish they would treat him well. <laughs> I'm name. not a huge mark for uh, for a lot of really old comic characters, but Billy Batson's pretty fucking perfect. It's it, it works so well, despite like if you do it classically, it's really corny. Where he's this ten year old kid, and he's also like a radio DJ telling the news. <laughs> and yeah, but even if you let that go, just the fact that he's a child. That's about as normal as you can get. About as small and plain as you can be. And, you know, he can be Superman in a way that Superman can't be. Yeah. Like, he does a lot. I really do think there's a lot of things people try to do with Superman that they should be trying to do with Billy. 
and they, yeah. they they say, "Oh no, he's a sad orphan." Billy is literally little orphan Annie. You can have yeah. songs, you know. <laughs> and, oh, you know, oh, young, young Justice did a really good job. I feel with Billy. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, you know, you know, I don't <laughs> think I've ever, maybe with the exception of Injustice, ever seen a bad Shazam, bad Captain Marvel. Because yeah. he's so he's so clean and pure. It's small child becomes a hero, and you know he's the best guy ever. Little boy becomes the guy he wishes was real. And you there can you, go. you could probably make a case that Kingdom Comes uh, Shazam was not good, but he in didn't that have case, he was very character. Yeah, he yeah, was... and he was also being used as a plot point, and also also he still had the best moment in the book. Yeah. So kind of. Well, most of the time he wasn't, he was just mind controlled and he stood there. And exactly. that's not, you know, but anytime people make Shazam do things in fiction, it always seems to be, he's one of those characters who never gets adapted wrong. Even in Injustice, yeah. you know, he was adapted, you know, he went along with the whole Superman regime thing, but he was the first person to resist and he yep. got killed for his trouble. But one of the great things that's interesting to me is, all of Billy's family are in, the family he assembles are in, you know, Tawny's in, Uncle Marvel's in, uh, Mary and Captain Marvel Jr. are all in, but they're also that clear separation of being, you know, no- they all have to say Shazam and become normal people. <laughs> I love and, that so much. <laughs> and you know what? Now that we're enshrining that, I can't believe I spent all this time not talking about fucking common writer and how <laughs> and how Toku clearly like enshrines the separation of the normal and the hero. They they say you're gonna spend two minutes every episode making sure you know. Hey, look, this is when he stops being normal and starts being the hero. We, we, we recorded this footage. We're gonna put it in every episode. You know, here's the transformation sequence. So yeah, with the uh, with the introduction of Toku to the conversation, I think we've pretty clearly got a great idea for where we should be going next with this uh, podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. That was Clay. And that was Talon. And tune in next time when we'll be talking about Blade. Some motherfuckers right. always want to ice skate uphill. <laughs>